0: Brandon, can you hear us? Yo, hey, there you are. How's that
1: sound? Yeah, got gotcha. you. Oh shit, <laughs> you got uh, it. This, Matt Lunsford on, is that correct?
0: Aaron, so Aaron Lunsford here is joining us because he's our longtime tour manager.
1: I don't think I've met Aaron.
0: So I, yeah, nah, you, man, you haven't, yeah. maybe haven't met Aaron, but Aaron, it was a drummer in the band as cities burn. Aaron is a longtime Dave Bazan fan, and Dave Bazan is a longtime disliker of Aaron.
2: So,
3: yeah, Dave
0: Bazan
2: ah. hates Aaron Lunsford. Hates a strong word, but
3: <laughs>
2: strong, strong dislike. <laughs> Even though Aaron
1: Lunsford loves Dave Bazan, right? I mean, exactly. he's like a big influence
2: in your life.
3: It is that, true, actually.
1: That is fascinating. That's a badge of honor in some ways. What? Is there a is there a, a podcast worthy story behind that?
3: Well, I, I'll just boil it down to me and Dave view Twitter as being for two very different purposes. <laughs> 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 so that, that's about the best way to say it. But I, yeah. I mean, I ripped off uh, half the drum, half my drum beats I've ever written are. For all intents and purposes, copy and pasted from Dave
1: Bazan drum beats. So yeah, but th- that's not the reason. The reason is weird Twitter shit. Yeah, well,
2: well yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron, no, you are—I mean, I, I mean, you're an official troll, or that's what you would. I mean, even you yeah, would yeah. That, right? I, but I,
3: mean. I well, what's funny? I've never actually trolled Dave. Really, I mean, I did ask if I could come be his drummer after he got mad at me, <laughs> and uh I don't. <laughs> i don't think he thought you know, that why, was funny why did he get mad at you though you you were he I was were- mad because i was trolling some people that he liked i guess oh. or something like that and he took he took offense and took it seriously but i, I mean it's it's fine
2: let's get right into it i, I want to ask a real serious uh, like i just want to get to it we got brandon Vetter here director of strange negotiations uh you are doing this from vacation and the big question I want to know is where are you on vacation?
1: It's hard-hitting journalism right here.
2: I don't get to take vacations, so I'm always jealous when people do.
1: I know. This is, this is the first one for us in a long time, uh, definitely since pandemic. We're down in Santa Cruz, California. Uh, my wife's parents have a house down there like a fishing house um and so we came down and are doing a week down here which is like I'm just kind of hitting that spot right now where I start to feel really uncomfortable about not working and you know like we're like halfway through it
0: we were in Santa Cruz. That, um, that's where we were on the boardwalk and and the indoor putt putt and all that kind of stuff. We just were there last year. Oh, and that's thought, it, where we rode yeah, the roller coaster. Yeah, I was, and we rode a roller coaster. And I said, "You, got, I got to drive my family down here for a vacation." So it's on my short list of places to try.
1: It's fun, you know. Actually, it's funny because we during the filming of the movie, we actually had Dave and I stayed here, and there's a whole scene actually here in the living room of this house. Where Dave is like fucking manic and kind of falling apart in in a, in an interesting way that like he's he's trying to rebuild a pedal board at the same time, and so sonically shit's falling apart and, and mentally shit's falling apart. Like his his wife is calling him, and there's a little bit of that conversation. I actually had that this whole scene edited from when we were here uh, that never made it in the film. That's cool.
0: Um, Brandon, I want to go back to the Twitter thing uh, a a little bit more. To me, it seems like uh, you've spent so much time around Dave, maybe you'd have some insight into how he thinks, but I've always found his music Uh to be so vulnerable and expressive and saying where he's really at and what he really thinks. That's like part of his art form. Right. Do you think now Twitter is that? Like The the way he presents and acts and takes Twitter – um as as fills that spot Tom.
1: yeah i mean it's definitely a a thing in terms of just kind of like he is reserving emotional energy for it um you know where it's like what i can tell you know like there were you know more than three times probably that it's like hey what's up what's going on like what's under your skin and it's like something on Twitter, um, it might have been me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that was kind of before I was really, it you know, like that interactive with with that medium. So, I di- I didn't quite understand. Um, but yeah, you know, I think like it's a hard, it's it's such a hard thing because I think you know, like you're saying, Aaron. I, I think so many people use it for so many different reasons. You know. Um, and th- that that's the thing, like, Dave is doing his full-on honest self on Twitter. But, you know, and even the jokes are, like, pure jokes. Actually, one of my favorite of his jokes that he ever told was on Twitter where he said, and I'm going to totally fuck this up, but something about <laughs> bury me in death as I was in life. Uh, sitting down with a lap full of croissant
0: crumbs.
1: (laughs) 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 I don't know why. I don't know why it's my favorite. But for some reason, it kind of got me. I mean,
3: that's such even a serious joke.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There's no no such thing as like, you know, it's always rooted in that.
0: Is it authentic? Like, what's the 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 core value behind all of all of it? Is it authenticity or a vulnerability, or what? What makes sense out of all of it to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that he he's just he's got one lane, you know, in in a really cool way that it's like, you know, this is, and and for better or for worse, in terms of its result you know and the way that it impacts friendships and relationships and all that stuff um but yeah you know I think he's he's kind of got one one zone and um you know everything is kind of born out of that it's so weird this is weird (laughs) like I've been thinking about you know like because we're we're a couple years out of the film now you know i guess just barely um and we've been keeping in contact um but you know it's also it's also weird to kind of say things on the record about you know uh this this person that you had this pretty intimate um take at for this Mm -hmm. whole time you know what i mean so i don't want to go too far in that because i um yeah i love i love this guy more than most people on earth and um you know i think that's that's one of the more incredible things about dave is just that he's pretty open with the um you know like the struggles and the things that he's bad at Mm -hmm. so
2: well i think like you were saying before it kind of it that's probably like the uh the the thing that helps him the most and hurts him the most uh that one lane like that's how he wrote the records that like changed my life you know what i mean like he, he he had to go all in on who he was at that moment and so that's probably why he's that same way on Twitter or whatever, like he's going to be all in on who he is, and that's how that I mean. And that's, that's what those lyrics were. Like I mean, when he was writing that, like winners never quit. I mean, he became that character, right? Or those, uh, you know, one character. He, he was just it was the songs. What were. the the whole thing so i think that's probably the why
1: why he has to do that but also well and even uh, you know i think even musically you know it's like yeah aaron you're talking about his drumming you know it's just like that's a unique fucking drummer you know like there's just yep it's a it's a completely different thing like i remember for the film I went and you know like devoured kind of everything that people were doing on YouTube Um, you know whether it was covers or whatever (laughs) there was like so many people that were trying to do uh, drums from control and fucking it up and you know like and it's so frustrated because it's so it's so specific and it's so like you know, it's just, it's just him. It's just straight out of his head, which I think it makes it really hard to play with him, you know, and all this stuff, but it's also what makes the stuff rise above and, you know, change people's lives.
0: Yeah. He definitely has the ability to influence other people. So like he must feel that and know that because he's going to be influential as a, as a person, in, in whatever way he is, he, it's, it, people will pay attention to what he does for for whatever reason. He's comp, has the compulsion to be, uh, you know, influential. People typically are hidden because the more influence you have, the more you curate what people see. That's the pattern, and he right. violates that pattern by some kind of it seems like a compulsion because it doesn't even seem to do him good in a lot of cases, and it's clearly, uh, you know, it clearly uh, he suffers through it. Sometimes you can tell.
1: Right.
3: Yeah. Control is is the greatest drum record of all time. I've said that for a while now. I think, people in, I the label, think.
0: people in the label group seem to agree. I think I've seen a lot of people have there's said stuff like that.
3: I was uh, real drunk when we were – I was tour managing y'all, and I think we played uh, uh, El Corazon or something. We were in that sidebar, and uh, Sprinkle was there, and I'd never met Sprinkle. Uh, and I walked up to him hammered. Like, Hey man, like control, man, (laughs) how, how'd y'all do that? Like what, what was that? How'd you make that record or something like, you know, it's the best record ever. And sprinkle was like, oh, uh, it's like just us butting heads, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was like, he was like, almost like he doesn't like it in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't really get what I wanted out of that record. Mm-hmm. The way sprinkle, sprinkle like, yeah.
0: tells that yeah. story is that Bazan did most of it at his house by himself, but he wanted Aaron to help and then to help mix yeah. it. So then Aaron started getting involved. And so then Aaron was mixing. It was on that small room at the compound on the right side and um or uh, no it was before that i'm sorry it was at the old compound but it was on the console that was in there it's the old digital sony console and so sprinkle it was getting it all mixed up or whatever and then whenever sprinkle would go to the bathroom dave would jump on and change a bunch of stuff and then it's <laughs> and then act like he didn't do it and they fight about it, too much compression or whatever.
1: <laughs> that and but but that's kind of the story of like all of the records you know and even even when it was like You know, because I was up in Cottage Grove, Oregon um, with Dave, another thing that didn't make it into the film, um, but there's like a couple beautiful scenes that came out of it was Dave recording a record with Swift um, at National Freedom and, you know, like the way that they it was It was so interesting because you know so this is the the record is blanco that you know I'm talking about, and they the way that they interacted was so interesting, and you know it was like it was just perfect for a one on one kind of thing because like it couldn't there there couldn't have been another voice in the room, period um. And you know, like it was really it was really beautiful watching them work together. Um, but I couldn't imagine without Richard's like understanding of Dave and just kind of like they had this language that 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 was. You know, born out of uh, 20 years of friendship and musical relationship, that they they kind of got to things very quickly. Um, but you know, like watching Dave jump onto things, and you know, like it's not a hands-off process. Um, and so, you know, like that's that was that was one of the last records that Swift made before he died, actually.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not as familiar with Blanco really actually. Do you all listen mm. to that one? I don't know it. I'm you sorry. Know, I, yeah. I guess I think the I think that the I haven't even kept up with everything since the What's the let's see. let's go back one before. The what's the one with the the bike song? Is that Blanco? The my little no, red bike?
1: That's the new Blanco's before that. Yeah, that's the new record. That's um, Phoenix.
0: Phoenix. Yeah, I guess I kind of miss Blanco. I don't think I ever spent any time with that one. Do you like that one a lot, Brandon?
1: Yeah, I mean, there it's it's so there's some really interesting stuff. Uh, half of it is kind of redone from the monthly stuff. Um, and it was kind of like, I think it was the last Barzook record. So there was a certain amount of like, you know, getting that well i'm i'm not actually sure exactly how that worked and and who released that but um there were some there were some songs that were redone you know like in permanent record the the track that opens strange negotiations is redone on this record uh called permanent record in a really interesting way Um, but you know, there's, there is a song called the ballad of Pedro y Blanco, um, you know, which is very much about his relationship, um, and marriage. And so, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a Dave record, (laughs) you know, like there it's, it's worth fucking with
2: yeah it's, it's interesting speaking of his marriage i was thinking about the day because i mean he, he tweeted about it that him and his wife had set had split up or they were getting divorced or whatever and i was thinking all the like documentaries and film stuff captures a moment and it tells you a lot about a person but then their life keeps on going like yeah. a lot has happened like you said this the, you're, you're you're you start you know y'all, y'all made this film and it's been like you're two years out or whatever um and in that two years, a lot has changed for him. Like you could have done a documentary in the last two years of him. Yeah. And it, would, it would have been just as interesting, if not more interesting. Isn't that crazy? Like you spent all this time capturing a moment that was really awesome. It showed yeah. a, uh, so much about this person that is one of the biggest musical influences of my entire life. And I couldn't, I was so blown away by the doc. I just watched it. Loved it. It's so great. I'm glad it's on, oh, net, uh, you, on uh, prime now. Right. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but, it his life just kept right on going, and yeah. things got better and worse. And
3: amazing, yeah, ima- well, imagine if you made a documentary about Donald Trump in 2013, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then and in 2021, Trump. the
1: second one, in <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Well, that's I mean, I, I that's the thing, you know, like, and and I feel like I've been pretty lucky in terms of finding you know and that's like that's the documentarians role is like kind of understanding when it's right to tell the story and when it's not and i honestly think that this was the 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 only time that you know to follow dave warranted a film um you know because like there was part of me that well i was kind of understanding all of this history i was like "Fuck, man i wish it you know like it would have been so amazing to get this loss of faith and kind of in the moment and you know like as sad and dark as it is this alcoholism and you know like all the good time dave that that leaded in led into you know like all of these problems um but you know like be able to capture it through my lens rather than having to kind of you know go grab like a bunch of archival footage but then you know it was like that's not that's not actually the story um you know and then it's like oh it would be so interesting to you know at the end of the film dave is talking about his current view of spirituality and kind of where he's at and how things are kind of coming together in really interesting ways um so is it is it more interesting to kind of like go and grab that like what what that progression looks like into you know like him and his wife going back to church a little bit and blah 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 and then you know like that relationship not working out and you know but it's like i don't know i think that it's it's so hard to make a movie yeah you well, know clear. like i mean
2: had yeah, even i mean he, had his, he has his demons i mean i guess we all do right well, it's about, so, some of it's that so hard
1: a- to it's so hard to find a movie's worth of. Um story you know, and conflict and resolution, and the things that that move us and change us and this This was the period in Dave's life that I think you know was the most ripe for this thing, and I am committed to being a friend and an ally on either side of that. Um, but you know, I don't think it's, it's, it's as film worthy.
2: Sure. It's funny. I think some of the stuff, like he toured for so long by himself in a van and, uh, when I was doing these, I do these events, these true man events, and I'll just be in the band by myself for most of the day. And then yeah. I go to the I hang out with the this, this group of men for, you know, a couple of hours. And then I go back by myself. And I end up sleep. I often I just prefer sleeping in my van. I don't have to worry about getting up at somebody's house or totally. you know, all that stuff. And uh Dave had his van all hooked up and was touring completely by himself. And it does it's it, like being out there by myself, I just thought about so much stuff and I didn't call anybody. And at first, when I first started touring or doing that, some of that it would be like you know I, I I was doing it maybe like seven days in a row just like seven days and the first yeah. uh first two days I would be calling people I'd be talking to them and stuff but by day three I didn't care about talking to people and I would just be mm-hmm. by myself and I was in I was just it was like a it, I would go through all these emotions it wasn't like I was super sad or anything but it would just be like you're just there driving on the road and you know where you got to go and then you got to go to this store or this gas station or whatever and then and i just didn't want to talk to anybody and it was just me yeah. i just rather just talk to myself that sounds like That's it's a- good for you right like it doesn't yeah. feel healthy
0: right it has to be no
2: nah, i don't i don't think it did <laughs> to me i, I just I, I think being around people because i mean the true man is really neat and at, at these events specifically I do you, feel a level of comfort a bit with this people. you about
1: the, just like a, a general context on the True Man events? Uh, it, it's just I
2: I uh I go to people's living rooms and it's like probably 10 guys or you know a little less a little more and uh we just do this event for about manhood masculinity uh we do some, a, a few different exercises and stuff like that but um, a living room
0: show yeah. with no music. Yeah right. Kind of power. Power. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. spreading no, I'm true. spreading toxic
2: masculinity no yeah. uh but at, when I first get there I do have to kind of be on feel like I'm a little right. bit of an entertainer you know because everybody's there nobody hardly knows each other and oh, for uh, you sure. know, yeah and so but so I get to be that entertainer for a little bit and then I hang out a little bit and then I leave and I go by myself again
1: well After, and that's and that's and that's the crazy part of the living room thing that it's so it's so so different from you know, and 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 I got to experience this firsthand uh, following this thing because I did club tours with him and I did living room tours with him. Um, you know, where it's just kind of like you have a house full of people in fucking Gainesville, Florida, that it, are are just you know like waiting and expecting, and in the film there is. Uh, one, and again, another kind of deleted scene <laughs> was that Dave forgot his fucking guitar at the hotel. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so, and, you know, it's just like, I'm such a people pleaser. And, you know, like, as a documentarian, like, I'm such an e- e- empathetic. an empath i guess you know like like this shit fucks me up like people's expectations and you know he and he was just like so cool with being like yo i forgot my guitar and yuki matthews was out at that point um who's you know an incredible musician he's part of the shins he's been in a bunch of different bands um but so he kind of had to stay in this (laughs) house and (laughs) and make everyone happy while dave and i went back to you know whatever fucking hotel and grabbed his guitar and it was just like he wasn't worried at all Poor you <laughs> but then we got back and Yuki was just like <laughs> was just like what's up guys <laughs> and it was you know like I just so you know like my experience with music and performance and stuff had come from touring with you know like bigger bands before that um you know like I toured most extensively with my cousin's band Pearl Jam um, and you know, like it was just, you know, like that. I did that when you, I was
2: you can't just scoot, skate over uh, that. What do you mean, your cousin? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so at- what are you talking about? You just <laughs> you hung out with your cousin, but it yeah. happened to be Pearl Jam. <laughs> <Yeah>. So
3: <laughs> I've never,
1: I've never gotten good at this, at rolling into this thing, um, because it was like you know, like I came of age when it was the biggest thing in the world. You know, uh, so Ed is my cousin.
2: Eddie Vedder the is your Ed. cousin.
3: Ed.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Eddie Vedder. Get Ed. yeah. So yeah, he he lived with us, you know, for a little bit, and he, yeah, you know, like he, it, 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 if you were going to be related to someone famous, like he's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> but- but I mean, so at one point he was just your cousin, Eddie right
2: (laughs) just your cousin a that you played or hung out with i mean is he older than you younger than you what was the yeah
1: yeah he's older you know um him and his brothers well you know it's like i don't know how big a fans or if you guys are fans at all but 10 kind of tells the story of you know what 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 happened with my aunt and uncle and you know ed was he was the son of a person that he didn't know, um, and so you know, like the, all of the brothers. There's there's four brothers in that family, three now. Uh, rest in peace, Chris. They um, they all thought that they were of the same father. And there was this friend who was a musician who would come over and kind of check on the family and everyone every once in a while. And she got cancer and ended up dying. And that, you know, my Aunt Karen made it clear that that was, <laughs> man, I did not. Think I was going to get into such family drama? Seriously,
2: well, I just thought you were going to tell us about all the boobs you got to see on tour. <laughs> <laughs> you, you took it dark. You this back is to heavy. We're good Karen Lord! Yeah, any, was, was there any good fun touring <laughs> oh, no. any veteran? Well, we, we got
0: can't a couple skip wild ones to pass <laughs> Aunt Karen now. No. You got
1: you gotta no. It's not, there's nothing. <laughs> it's so so uh my aunt karen you know she had there there was a and and it's so interesting because now she is kind of the keeper of our family lineage which i've been meaning to kind of check on recently because i've been trying to figure a couple things out because our family is you know like especially this side is pretty crazy um And we come from a a wild, wild bunch. And so anyway, Ed did not know who his father was until super late in his life. And that's what was the inspiration for most of the record. Ten. Wow. Um, And then. Yeah, I forget. You guys got to kind of keep me on track because we're going so many other
0: places. We're very relaxed on time (laughs) and all this, but it's funny (laughs) to already stumble into this territory given – I mean, Eddie Vedder and Dave Bazan, I mean, are probably two of the most people who I would – I mean, have – you know, directly contributed to our paths. I mean, like, is that right? Well, I mean, just in the whole scheme of things. I mean,
3: that's. I gotta like, call my wife and tell her I'm talking to Eddie Vedder's cousin. She's gonna <laughs> lose her fucking mind. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when, when Ten came out for us, I
0: mean, that was like the begin. Like, I I didn't turn into a person until I heard Nirvana, and then it was Nirvana, Pearl Jamstone Temple Pilots, and then I'm here today. I'm, now I'm a rock guitarist wow. from Seattle. I mean, it's just yeah. it's, it's it's almost that simple. You know, and then when I moved, when I was gonna move here, it's like, well, Dave Bazan's from Seattle too, and at that time he was like a hero of mine. So the very first exposure to music was grunge, and I said, that's me. I'm that. I'm grunge, no matter what. I know that's me. And then Dave Bazan later for the vulnerability and authenticity, and they're both in Seattle, you know. And so I moved to Seattle, and then eventually I meet Dave relatively early on in that in that journey and get to know him and, and that kind of thing, and. It's a very small scene up here. Even the Pearl Jam, and I know people that work for Pearl Jam and have known them. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you were his cousin, though. By the way, we didn't know. That really? here. And yeah, then, you know, know, when I first moved here, I also went out. Here's a good one. I forgot about this one. I'll tell it another time, but I dated Jimi Hendrix's niece when I first moved to Seattle. So if that's not... Okay, Eddie Vedder's cousin. I know Dave
1: on I went out with
0: Jimi Hendrix's niece. Tina.
1: I, boy, boy from the South does good. That's what that headline's called. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it is... It's so interesting because... We, we were living in Lake Tahoe at that point when Ed was living with us uh, and we had, yeah, I mean, I'm just drunk enough to tell the whole story <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, so, so yeah. my my parents were pretty big drug dealers Um, and we, we, we all, the veterans come from Chicago. And so we, Ed and Karen and everyone moved to San Diego. We moved to um, Lake Tahoe. And so it was this really interesting timing where, you know, like flee and you know like if i if i do all this <laughs> research you know like tapes are being pushed back and forth between all of these bands and he's in mookie blaylock at that point and um you know like there he he brought up like the first version of like what he was really pr- You know, it was like so interesting. We had we had this cabin in in South Lake Tahoe, where my dad, who's the uh, craziest motherfucker in the world, where it's like that—that's where all the drug dealing comes from. He made you know, so an A-frame has a triangle upstairs and he stapled uh, mattresses to the walls on either side and on the bottom. So we had like this crazy pillow fight room and that's where Ed stayed. And so I just remember like him showing me these tapes and it had all like, he had written everything on these tapes and it had this really specific look to it that, that I could kind of even tell you know like as an 8 or 9 or 10 year old like oh wow like this is history like this is something special mm-hmm.
2: and so and you- why did your dad <laughs> staple mattresses to the ceiling <laughs> why, why did he do that <laughs> Are you there, Brandon? <laughs> did we lose him? <laughs> I think we lost him.
3: Oh
1: God! No, no. To, I'm back. I'm back. I have, I
2: have to know that. That is wild. <laughs> First of all, what the hell kind of stapler did your dad have? What <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's the biggest fucking stapler. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but it was a pillow fight room. Your dad had an idea to do it, like to throw you off of any wall ceiling. <laughs> that's amazing exactly yeah like that was the thing i, was,
1: with, I got with, it i didn't miss with, anything with my dad who his name is freddie Vetter, <laughs>
3: that's great yeah
1: yeah he and Freddy. and he he will show up at any pearl jam show and Push his way past the, you know, like key Ed security guard and all this stuff, because it's like, you know, like Ed's a weird factor in our family where, you know, it's like everyone is, I don't know, there's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to have someone that famous in your family when you're really, really poor, you know like Mm -hmm, right when when ed was his most famous we were on food stamps you know like so it was the there was this weird weird thing (laughs) where and and not that there was any expect you know like we didn't even think about that or whatever but it was just kind of like it was weird.
0: So Freddie go backstage, demand to go backstage. Was like, who are you? I am Freddie better. Yeah. And then yeah. they just demand yeah. to be let back. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. <laughs> come on. Beat it, buddy. <laughs> Freddie better. Yeah. Get out of here. You couldn't with a better name yeah. than that. Yeah.
1: You just, you just put an F in front of that
0: motherfucker yeah sure you're you relate related to eddie better you best you come i'm uh i'm his relative i'm uh, a freddie better you see
1: well and that and that was the thing like i graduated high school i reached out to ed and i was like yo i think you know like uh, this is what makes the most sense for me in terms of telling stories and like I was so interesting. There, there was like, I toured with Wu-Tang clan, Uh, you know, like there was, there was a a handful of things that I was doing because, you know, like hip hop is my first love um, in terms of just like capturing and trying to tell that story and understand or or, or just like, I, I, I don't, I don't feel like there is a, there's no like hip hop documentaries. It's like Wilco. I'm trying to break your heart or something like this, where it's just like, mm-hmm. Oh, I understand the songwriting. Like it's I not understand. much.
0: A, it's not as much a part of the hip hop culture to do storytelling and the vulnerable inside look stuff
1: right right mm. and so with with the project that i'm working on now that's a big part of it um remind me what, what your question was <laughs> we're still on your tour <laughs> you're still on your what'd tours. you do for pearl jam the crazy story <laughs> oh yeah <Okay. laughs> what, what was your job at pearl
2: jam and what give us a crazy story if you got memory
1: well okay so so my my job for pearl jam <laughs> was you know like me and ed are from similar spots where it's just like we're not you know like blessed in terms of family or money or anything like that and so motherfucker did not talk to me once the entire tour uh i went on tour with them for Seven or eight months. Um, <laughs> and he didn't he, talk to you the whole time. No, didn't talk to me once. He, uh, and, you know, like, and he was, like, super pumped by the end that I had become part of the crew. But, you know, it was like I was the youngest person by maybe 20 years, you know, like. Uh I was 18, 19 years old. So yeah, there, there wasn't really anyone. I I I, w- I became friends with like security guys and one of the most amazing people in the world is this woman named Carrie Keys who runs Rat Sound along with her um partner Dave Rat. Who has this incredible organization called Sound Girls, where she is encouraging and kind of providing a path for women to be doing front of house shit and like really getting into you know like the real fucking sonic jobs and not just like you know uh local crew shit. Mm-hmm so he, he, she was like one of my saving graces and um you know but at the end of the day i was what 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 brought me on this entire thing was you were saying that there you you had those moments where you were in these cities and you were alone and yeah. this is yeah. you know kind of this entirely different thing Uh, you know like that's kind of the first time that i experienced that where i was touring the country um and then the world and i was 10 years junior everyone else and they kind of thought i was a douchebag because i was ed's cousin Mm -hmm. they didn't know that you know i was is, this is that
3: why he didn't talk to you so that he could let you kind of find your own way i guess oh, yeah. okay so, i got you yeah.
1: yeah you know but you know like yeah i was i was this poor chubby food stamps kid
0: then that... what were you doing on the tour what was your day to day job
1: my uh so i was i was shooting every night um and then i would set up the dressing room Mm -hmm. and that put me in some really interesting positions. Um, it, 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 I yeah, got to like watch and understand so many famous people and the kind of despair that is there.
0: Wow. That stuck with you right away. Mm -hmm. You were saying when you were 20 and you're like, Oh, these people have it all and they're miserable
1: miserable
2: yeah tell me more okay. uh, let's let's see if we, okay you don't okay here's what we'll do let's guess some famous people's names that you saw in the, <laughs> in the despair and you say yes sir. Yeah. okay please, ready
1: please throw me some firewood because i feel like i'm just <laughs> I, it, it's 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 hard to gauge where i just like i'm continuing to drink here on what, vacation. Are, you, what are you drinking tonight and
0: you're on vacation you deserve it but what are you drinking
1: uh, Elijah Craig, no, nice. yeah, nice. Um, so this was let's see, 2002 to 2004. Okay, so it was the Riot Act tour, and then, um, I, I, I went and then unhung on a couple of Ed's uh solo things with the uh, uh Sean Penn movie cool uh
2: fast times at ridgemont huh?
3: <laughs> <laughs> That is a good
1: that is a super good guess <laughs> no <laughs> Emile that's Hirsch. the only Sean Penn movie I can think of. What's of the, all of his movies. That's the, I know. That was it. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> it's good. I mean, you went you went, you shot your shot. I did. Um, it was uh, Into the Wild. So, Ed did a bunch of music for Into the Wild. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, a, a good one, too. I right, right? yeah. her Sean Penn yeah. movie. Yep. And, yeah, so... I think we were living in LA at that point and I just kinda hung out for a little bit during that thing. So yeah, we did we did um uh, probably yeah, like a a national and international tour on the Riot Act record.
2: Okay. Toby, you got some <laughs> sorry, I'm back yeah totally connected there no problem yeah my internet connection was unstable i'm sorry anyway so i was thinking
0: how,
1: how just, much do you guys edit this thing we're just <laughs> we're
0: just being silly we're, we're just loose and silly There's nothing to right, right. because
1: no, it's it seems this seems very dangerous to me <laughs> well i mean if there's anything you
0: said you don't want to say we're happy to take it yeah, out we'll but, take it but it out. what dangerous in what way though
1: well, I don't know. I, I I mean, honestly, more dangerous in terms of the Dave stuff, because he can be, yeah, more, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not concerned about it, that all, all that stuff is fine and fun, but the Dave, some of the, da- well, no, I think we're fine. I think we're okay. As long as you cut this shit out, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can we can give it to you to no, review
2: if you like.
1: No, I I did,
0: Brandon,
2: I'm having a hell of a time. This right? is great. I, yeah. I promise you. All, I, what yeah. I want, but this is just so interesting. I really want to know, like, what I mean. You're 20 young, 20 years, 10, 20 years younger than these people on tour. You're on tour with Pearl Jam, and they're, okay, ma- they're so- massive. But but what i mean did you were you partying hard was it wild nope. okay. or were you just on a this crew is, bus and it was boring this, they're is, all
1: older? this is good actually this is the first time i've ever told this story publicly um i was a was am it it you know it's it's hard to say exactly but a christian <laughs> when you're in the place. When I went on this tour and I was um trying to be a light of Christ. I was like worried that if I was to drink or you know, like that all of these people. What were, were, you know, like, I got that indoctrination uh, uh, as a young dude. You're a witness. Yeah, like, I had this incredible, you know, like, and then it was just like, you're a poor kid, you're, you know, like, brown appearing, you, you know, like, have very little to give what are you going to do and so you know like I, i i was so sensitive about what i was putting out in terms of you know like this this christian thing where it was like okay like you know every every we we had all this money coming to us in terms of um you know like our per diem right mm-hmm. and you know like i'm a poor kid so i was just like this is insane like getting 75 dollars a day or whatever it was like this is so insane and everyone else is like going to strip clubs and whatever they're doing was fine i was just like this is great. Like I'm going to film school and I'm going to do it and I'm going to save all this money up. And. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where I was going with
3: that.
0: (laughs) You had us on the edge of our seat. That's a storyteller.
2: Man, right there with you. I'd pay anything. I'd, I'd pay to anything know the thing to know where... Me. Me. If, I, we'll could, just if I could get to where you were going, I'd pay anything to know now. That's a storyteller.
1: Well, you know, there... There, there is this thing where... Can you guys still hear me? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... There was this there was this moment in New York. We're at Madison Square Garden and this this show goes off and it is you know like I'm shooting side stage show was unbelievable that like people were moving in a way that was fucking this building up. And I was side stage with my camera, I'm still trying to film and not getting a steady shot. I look backstage at the garden and, you know, they have to have ambulances in there. And the ambulances are almost bouncing off of their shocks. Like they are just balancing, and you'll see this entire story if if you ever watch the uh, live at the Garden Pearl Jam DVD. Um, but they, but the tour manager came out and said, "There's only uh, three bands that have ever made Madison Square Garden shake like this." The Boss iron maiden you know and like the crowd is going ape shit. it was an incredible moment it sounds like it the beautiful thing is that you guys are gonna have to make a podcast out of this <laughs> <laughs> um this is the
0: podcast I don't know what you mean by that
1: <laughs> I w- wait you don't edit this at all
0: I mean it, well I mean we'll keep it as loose as we as we can
1: oh shit okay
0: <laughs> Is that, you know we hang out and talk and have conversation and then we release that as a podcast and we edit to the degree okay. we, we must yeah. well so how about since the movie has been released i mean it's been out for a while now tell us about how the reception has been since you were last on the podcast
1: well, it's been great. I mean, you know, like it's one of these things where it's just like if people will if people find the film, they are moved by it um, but you know, like we're in this world where there's just so much stuff,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know like there's there's very few ways to just stumble upon a movie about this guy and his songs and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we, I worked super hard while we were making the film to engage like this big audience. But, you know, like once that audience is gone, it's kind of like, all right, well, I hope someone else stumbles upon this thing and so that's where we are with amazon prime right now Mm -hmm. where it's just like there's 500 people every day uh so far we're 15 days in that's awesome just you know like Stumbling upon discovery.
0: Yeah, that's that's cool. So it's had its whole run of doing the film festivals and the showings and the fans and everything. And now, I mean, who knows? I mean, that's could be people that don't even know Bazan and become fans and everything at that point once you're on the right in the mainstream content house.
1: And that's the hard thing, you know, like with my past films as well, you know, like we've done, you know, like the biggest film festivals, the biggest press outlets, all everything that you would think that would like determine success. And it, the, it's not the thing anymore. You know, like, it's just, it's a completely different metric now. And so having New York times and LA times and, you know, like all of these critics say, this is the best thing that you'll ever watch does not matter.
0: Yeah, but on the flip side of that, the the meaning and value that the people that do get it and know about it is so deep. Like it's a like the amount of people that really care about Bazan and the film you made and that scene and the living room shows and the post-christian this and that, that level yeah. of detail, you know, that that narrow of an audience has never gotten before this level of niche content that so deeply matters to them so it's a little bit of a trade-off that a general people maybe aren't looking for it but it's really amazing that that whole community itself can support and generate and you know have this stuff such that it can even get to be on amazon prime for free like it is now so i think that's quite amazing regardless you know of how the industry is
1: totally and you know like i i think it's so interesting and fun to watch, like Kirsten demen's book, you know, Jesus and John Wayne become you know like this crazy hit where you know it's like there there are all of these things in this world that i don't know i i I, I think that people are just really kind of starting to understand now and starting to yeah there's yeah. a lot of things that people are just starting to deal with you know like yeah and and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful time
3: mm-hmm. i watched it today and it it is a great documentary regardless if you know, about Bazan or whatever. It was just really well-made, but I thought you should have had a trigger warning for band dudes that have wives and kids <laughs> because it was, I'm not, I'm serious. I was, uh, I watched it and he kept having to pause it cause I was making my kids dinner and trying to get them to bed and all that stuff. And I was watching, I don't like to feel stuff. Like I don't, I don't want to feel it, right. any emotions and right. I, um, my band spent a lot of before pre pandemic, we spent two years before that on the road a lot. And I have kids that are of an age, you know, three, five, and eight now. And I like, it, it felt traumatic to me to watch Dave dealing with that. Cause I was like, Oh, that's such an awful feeling. Realizing that like you've carved yourself into some life that you can't get out of kind of. And you're like, you know what i mean like it, it was it was dark it was dark to watch so uh, i didn't like i i liked the film i did not like how i felt well, the whole the whole film feels Dave. super
2: heavy it just the, right yeah. from the beginning it just feels super heavy and you're like it, and brandon you don't mm-hmm. let anybody escape from that there's not yeah. really much there's not much reprieve or relief through it and it just just kind of goes which is kind of cool that tension and heaviness being there the whole time mm-hmm. it really does make you feel something like, you do feel yeah. connected when he can't throw the baseball with his kid or he's going to get – oh, you know, his wife – I think one of the lines is he, his wife goes, oh, you'll be home for like two of his games or three of his games, something like that. And I was like right. – and he, he was like, oh, yeah. He just said uh, it. But, you know, the, the underlying well, thing is, it, well, that's just those – the other ones he is, isn't is going to be there.
0: Right. That's like he'll just, he'll parole by then is what it yeah. sounds yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. i missed uh, yeah. my
3: son's first Little League te- T-ball season, the whole thing. I didn't see a single game because I was on tour. That killed me. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. Wow.
0: Well, it's on Amazon Prime now, and I'm hopeful that the, the art, artistic people like you making stuff are partnering with the algorithms, and then the right people will continue to discover it. But it's free. That's amazing. So if anybody hadn't seen this film, um, please go do it right now. You can do one of those watch parties or whatever.
2: I had two things I'd like to say. Before we wrap up here go ahead toby three things three brandon, yeah Br- first of all brandon <laughs> thank you so much for joining us my friend during so your really vacation enjoy- <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed it two when you said uh y'all were talking like lunch you said you didn't get to see your son's uh first whole t-ball uh season i was trying to think of something and uh what i and i uh since the day she was born i, I haven't been able to see my firstborn <laughs> at all because of touring in this podcast, you, uh, so you still haven't so you, met her. You,
1: big whoop. <laughs> one season
2: of T ball. Right now, now she's upstairs. <laughs> yeah, but this damn this is podcast. Though. This is important. My wife like keeps saying something. Send me letters about being deadbeat. I don't know. I I wish to God my job didn't keep me away from her, but it does. Okay. Now, secondly, <clears throat> I, Brandon, if I, if you allow me, I would like to be. Uh, Two of your coworkers, I'd like to – I'm just envisioning what when you were playing Madison Square Garden, I, w- I would like to be two of your coworkers talking about the moment and you and what's happening, if y'all will let me do that. You ready?
3: Like a role play? Yeah. Yeah, okay.
2: Here we go. This is, this is Brandon. Yeah, do it. This is Brandon's coworkers at the Madison Square Garden. Hey Martin, who's that new kid over there, Brandon? What what do you mean? That's Eddie's cousin. Eddie's Eddie's cousin. Wait, you mean Freddie's son? Freddie with the mattresses? Stapled all over the fucking ceiling and everywhere! God, that's Freddie's kid. See. <laughs>
0: Is that Brandon is that basically Brandon accurate? did that did I get close to your cover what <laughs>
1: no, no, no damn it <laughs> I thought I nailed that one
2: alright
1: well but, but I, I appreciate I, I mean I, I appreciate it
2: well thank you very much I did my best guys I did my best Brandon <laughs> right. thank you for spending
0: time with us tonight this has been really fun
1: thanks for having Got me you. on I appreciate right. it. see you Brandon Bye, Brandon. Peace. Matt
3: and Toby. Ha <laughs> ha.